0: It was one of those old houses you see from time to time, standing off the road, across the field, out toward the country, the roof mostly gone, windows sagging and empty, peering at you over a half-rotted porch as you drive by. It's hard to believe that anyone had ever lived there, but according to my great-grandfather, it was the house he was born in. His excitement grew as we pulled onto the bare dirt track that led to the house. The car was still rolling when out he popped, and was moving as fast as his cane would let him, up the stairs and through the black hole that served as a door. Following as fast as we could, we too crossed the threshold, and came to a sudden and abrupt halt, like hitting an unseen wall. In the gray light filtering through the dust, we could see the back of an old wing chair, grimy and tattered facing toward the fireplace on the far wall of the room there was no sign of great granddad try as we might we could not move forward a voice seemed to come from the depths of the wingback chair don't worry you'll have him back safe and sound but first you must listen to my weird wonder stories from a time long ago when i'm done just step back and leave Great-grandfather will be found sleeping in the car. And we did. Here is a story about unexpected theater. From a Trolley Post by Margaret Dodge The man looked discouraged. As he stood on the corner of the avenue, his hands thrust into his overcoat pockets, his slouch hat pulled down over his eyes, he seemed to be posing for an end-of-the-century statue of resignation. For 15 minutes, he had been facing a purely Bostonese combination of east wind and drizzling rain, while he waited for one of the electric cars billed to pass that corner every five minutes. There was no cab station within a mile, and his train left at the other end of the town in half an hour. Besides, he lived in a city where east winds never blew, and where L trains and cable cars whizzed by with clockwork regularity. Consequently, he possessed few resources for killing time on street corners. After he had read his paper, looked over his memorandum book, and worn a path into the middle of the street by continued expeditions undertaken in hopes of sighting the delayed car, he backed up against the white trolley post and fixed his lustrous eyes upon the row of brownstone apartment houses that lined the opposite side of the street. Suddenly a gleam of hope lighted the gloomy eyes of the man at the trolley post. Had the car, after all, taken a spurt? Had the wind changed? No. The track was still clear as far as the eye could see. The vein on the nearest church pointed unwaveringly to the east, but the resigned man had made a pleasing discovery. He had found a companion in misery. In the third-story side window of an apartment house, diagonally opposite, a picturesque, black-eyed youngster stood drumming on the windowpane and scowling out into the brick-paved area upon which the window opened. He had a disapproval that matched that of the man at the trolley post. Bud, too, was a stranger within the city's gates, and he, too, was tired of waiting for luck to take a turn. He had grown up in Texas, where the sun shines for 350 days in the year, and where every day he could wander out upon the plains and kill something. And now he had come to this cold, dismal city where he had to wear shoes and a Fauntleroy suit and stay in when the east wind blew. For two hours he had been waiting for the sun to come out and he had almost reached the end of his resources. Almost, but not quite! A moment later, as the resigned man watched the little Texan standing with his nose flattened against the pane, his round, bright eyes peering down into the mist, he saw him open the window and, through the iron grating of the balcony, survey the scene below. Then, with a coltish leap, Bud disappeared into the room. A moment later, his agile little body again wiggled out onto the balcony. It was a small, rounded affair, filled with potted plants and situated on a perpendicular line with similar balconies which belonged to the suites above and below. In the one immediately under that on which the small boy stood was placed among the geranium plants and India rubber trees, a glass globe containing several large goldfish. Hanging out over the railing, Bud fixed his round eyes on the glass globe and chuckled. Then he looked cautiously into the room behind him. Apparently, no one was in sight. Producing from the pocket of his small trousers a fish line and hook, he proceeded to lower it until the duly baited hook landed among the goldfish. There was a deft twist of the line, a splash and a flop, and something yellow and wiggling flashed through the air, and a moment later a large goldfish lay breathing its last in a big flower pot at the roots of an india rubber tree. Once more Bud chuckled. So did the man at the trolley post. He had now waited half an hour, but for the moment, he had forgotten the east wind, the delayed car, and the train he wanted to catch. Without loss of time, the boy again lowered his hook. Once, twice, three times the operation was repeated, and then the boy unlooped himself from the balcony and scraped one foot meditatively upon the other. Four quarter-pound goldfish were now in the way of enriching the soil at the base of the India rubber tree, and the stream was fish dry. Did the balcony offer other worlds for this youthful Alexander? Apparently not, for after chewing up several choice geranium blossoms and practicing with his bean shooter upon a draggled sparrow, he turned to go. The man at the trolley post frowned. Having seen two acts of a play, he objected to being cheated out of the third. Just then, however, the little comedy was continued by two new actors. Around the corner appeared an Italian hand organist, leading by a string a minute monkey, gloriously costumed in a green skirt, scarlet jacket, and green and gold cap. As the melancholy Italian put down his instrument and began grinding out Daisy Bell, his hairy attendant scampered across the pavement and began scrambling up the iron balconies of the tall apartment house in quest of pennies. A yawning grin convulsed Bud's small features. Flinging his fish line into a flower pot, he climbed through the window and disappeared. He was gone only a few moments, but when he returned, he bore himself with a new air. A large sombrero sat jauntily upon his black curls. From his left arm hung a coil of rope, while his brown right hand brandished above his head the loop of a lasso. As he stood there motionless, the hand holding the lasso poised in the air. He looked a perfect pocket edition of a Texas cowboy. The man at the trolley post would have wagered a large sum that among the 35,000 small boys reported by the last census as living in Boston, there wasn't another boy like Bud. Meantime, the organist had changed his tune from Daisy Bell to Hold Your Head Up, Hogan, while the monkey had been making a triumphal progress up the iron balconies. His gorgeous uniform, acrobatic leaps, and hand over hand performances, together with his shrewd chatter and the graceful twirl with which he pocketed coppers had attracted every child within a radius of four blocks pennies rained upon him like roses on a favorite prima donna, and the little fellow was put to sore straits to collect the rich shower. In Bud's absence, he had traveled to the topmost balcony of the seven-story apartment house, and was now resting on the fourth on his downward progress when his bright eyes caught sight of another offering that was being thrust through the window upon the second-story balcony of the next house by a child more retiring than his neighbors. This house stood on the other side of a common area, barely fifteen feet wide, and the railing upon which the offering lay was directly opposite the one where the little beastie crouched, but some ten feet below. The monkey took in the situation with twinkling eyes, Then, after a brief, chattered soliloquy, he humped up his back and drew himself together ready for a spring. By this time, the man at the trolley post was breathless with excitement. To attempt to keep track of the boy and the monkey at the same time was like watching a circus with two rings. By a quick glance, however, he noted that while the monkey was still gathering himself for the leap, the boy was standing erect. His eyes fastened on the monkey, his fingers twirling the loop of the lasso above his head with the apparent ease that means a deadly aim. Once, twice, the noose circled in the air. The monkey quivered with the impulse to spring. But just then the accident happened. The car arrived, and the man from New York missed the end of the play. The end. And on the way home, we heard great-grandfather mumbling in his sleep. Such marvelous stories, he said. Such marvelous stories. I haven't heard these since I was a child. And he promptly fell back asleep.